church, according to Jesus, claiming that we struggle to interpret the times and forecast their meaning is hypocritical. Jesus' point is that if we're bright enough to predict the weather, then we're bright enough to interpret the meaning of the events of our times and take appropriate action. In this week's sermon, Kelly preached on Luke 12 and 13. A lot of ground is covered here, but Kelly mostly focused on the believer's interpretation of the events of current times and what Jesus had to say about it. Today, we'll be discussing this topic and more. Stay tuned from Glen Ellen Bible Church. I'm Matt Marone. I'm John Vanderbilt. I'm Beth And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode number 185, or is it 86? 85. Of the Next Level Podcast. For God so loved the world that he gave us, he's one and only son to save us, Hey, what a start. It's inauguration week. Everybody got their presidential on? I read J. <laughs> I don't even know what how does to. That mean? What does that mean? I got a hat? I've As he said, never that, had he literally mine. was holding up a stogie. <laughs> <laughs> you look so, like Hannibal. Brady for Senate. So, Congress. Uh, I read JFK's inaugural address this morning. Y'all ever do anything like that? It's fascinating. 59 years ago this week, JFK addressed the nation. And it's, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I also read this morning, letter from a Birmingham jail. That mm. thing is long. Yeah, I read that every yeah. year this, this day. Long. That's a good tradition. 18 pages, I think, right? Something like that? Uh, on my pages? computer, it came out 14 single-spaced. Yeah. Oh, man, that is long. It's long. It took me an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, handwritten without resource in a jail. Like, he didn't have a library in the, the, uh, the brilliance. Why would we ever want to recognize this guy? What's your point, John? <laughs> I actually loved the little video clip. Wasn't you guys it good? Had. Did you show that live, too? I we would did. Imagine. We did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was good. P, uh, several services, people applauded. Yeah. As they should. Yeah. Yeah, and I like amens liked... and applauds. Right. Yeah, that was good. John, I, I thought your content. I'm least... oh, sorry. I yeah, could... I forgive you. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I yeah, it's you... inauguration week, you know, <laughs> and it goes <laughs> on the podcast. I got my, my, got my presidential. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought your comments following the video were were good. Just oh, about thanks. the the weeks, if, the last couple of weeks, uh, national events, and the work that we have to do. We have work to do. Yeah. Relational work, reconciliation. You know, what's interesting is, um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a very prominent national presence. Like, he had a national message for America. Obviously, the, the I Have a Dream speech on the, mm-hmm. at the Washington, Washington Monument, right? It's called the Monument. Uh, he, at the uh, reflection he was at the, pool. Yeah, and yeah, in front of the, the big crowd. He was on the mall. Yeah. In front of Lincoln's the, Memorial. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of like the pinnacle thing that, that we see, but, but he was a pastor mm-hmm. of a church and a reverend in a lineage of pa- his great, great grandfather. He can trace was a preacher. I think he was the fourth generation. Yeah. And so he, he had, there's lots of, you brought up Birmingham letter to the Birmingham jail, which was written to a group of church leaders and pastors in Birmingham at that time. He had a lot to say to the church. Mm-hmm. Most perhaps of that, more to mm-hmm. say to the church. I mean, a lot of his kind of one-line quotes and things that we have that get kind of put up and stuff today, which is great. I don't knock that at all, man. If you want to put out Martin Luther King stuff today, go for it. We need more of it. 
Um, but a lot of those quotes are in churches, and he's speaking to congregations, speaking to church leaders. He wrote to the church and church leaders, and so I take a lot of what he says just like personal as a church leader, uh, just as much as a as a you know American wanting to continue change in our country. I mean, there, there's a lot about um, how the church should behave in times of you know, national crisis and civil rights and things like that. So yeah. there's a, you know, there's a small, I don't, you know, we're not going to get into this a whole bunch, but there's this like a small voice of people that say like, Oh man, he, he, did you know he wasn't really a Christian? He wasn't really, a, it's like, how do you, have you ever read anything he's written? Like there's G, Jesus is all over the place. The church he had some strange the theological place. views. Uh, sure. But, right. but to say like, this man's not a Christian. And then I thought like, um, why would you actually want that? Why would you start there? Mm-hmm. Well, well, okay, look at what he did. Right. Why would you not want him being can we claim a Christian? Him as, well, like, can we claim him as in our camp for crying out loud? I, I mean, right. gosh, like, of all the people who get labeled as Christians yeah. who do things, like, why would you not want this man to be labeled a Christian? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's in, that, that's insane to me. Yeah. There's a lot of insane things in this world. Well, there are. He was only, like, 39, right? When yeah. he got that's what gets me. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm like, what hard. am I doing with my life? <laughs> he was brilliant. You're doing, you, he was yeah, brilliant. Let's just all each answer our call, right? True. Let's not compare yeah. ourselves to each yeah. other. Just yeah. faithfulness, not uh, spectacularity mm-hmm. is yeah. the call. So uh, towards the end of the letter, John, you, you mentioned... Wait, are you saying I'm not spectacular? I'm saying it's not the goal. <laughs> You're spectacular on Ranch Road. Yes, there you go. You're spectacular in your calling. That's a low At the end of the letter... He says, but the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. And that was was 1963. 63, 1963. So, I mean, you could pen that today. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Or see the reality of it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. How it's played out. Mm-hmm. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I often wrestle with what what is the prophetic message? What is the message uh, that we're to be speaking to the American church today? And so we're wise, John, as you point out, to be aware of what those before us have said, calling the, the American church out of its apathy into greater activity. There's a CT article today about... Um, Christianity Today. That's yeah, CT. Christianity Today, uh, about the importance of activism, not just verbal affirmation mm-hmm. of uh, racial equity being of primary importance, but we've actually got to take action. And, and the actions can be as simple as uh, cultivating new friendships across cultural barriers, uh, are showing videos on Sunday morning that affirm the work of a civil rights leader in our nation. So we need to take action. Do y'all not look forward to Inauguration Week? No. Okay. No. Especially, this year, especially, especially this year. No. <laughs> I'm praying for it. Yeah. I just kind of hoped that it would happen, and I didn't know about it, and then I showed up next week, and it was done. That's kind of yeah. what I'm hoping I for. I feel like it's every— Biden I has mean, an opportunity to mark a moment, baby. He's got an opportunity to say some words that bring healing, resolve, and unity. 
Yeah, many have that moment yeah. in our national leadership, <laughs> right? Lots of people yeah. have an opportunity in the events leading up to and after and surrounding. Mm. I just, I feel like the elections lately, we don't have to get into politics, but the elections lately since, I don't know how many we've gone through, and I'm 43, so a few, that the the latest ones, it's like you just went through like a bloodbath every single day. There's like terrible news and recounting and lawsuits and slander and just rah. And so you get to the, the inauguration is like, it's not a celebration of freedom and liberty and yeah, we change of power. It's line. like a, <laughs> haha, we won. Or, you know, we're, we're not yeah. going to support you guys. I'm leaving on my helicopter. Forget you guys. You know, there's just this. Well, I think since Bush 2000, yeah. that was every election since then, there's been recounts, recounts and contesting. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember it before that. Mm-mm. I don't really. Right. I, obviously, I wasn't following politics as much when I was a teenager. Well, then they. But I don't remember. 150 something years now, there's been all the living presidents are present at the inauguration this year, being the first where there won't be all of the living presidents there at the inauguration, which I'm not making a comment on that at all, but it's just, it is telling of our kind of the climate and the times and how just gross it all feels. It doesn't feel like a celebration anymore. I mean, now there's what, 20,000 soldiers stationed there to protect the The transfer. Yeah, that just doesn't seem I mean, this, this feels like a, this doesn't feel like America to me. It feels like a like a like Banana a Republic. foreign country that has Banana Republic. has has you know held their first ever election, and there's a mm-hmm. you know some some regime that might take it back over. And I, I, again, I'm not making comment on who and what and everything. This is what it feels like. Yeah, there's right? a lot of division. Back to my point, like, Biden has an opportunity to mark a moment. And, yeah. And his words, I I'm sure they're working overtime yes. uh, to script words that will bring resolve, that will strengthen democracy, and be a step towards healing. I, I hope, hope so. Yeah. Man, I sure know. hope so. I just don't I actually, know that there's going to be ears to hear. That's, it's the I feel acceptance. Like that's, that's exactly. the greater it's the prayer. Acceptance prayer. Nationwide. The greater that's prayer, right. for, I, for me at least, the greater prayer is, the more important prayer is for ears to hear instead of words that, that's you know fair. what I mean? Because, that's fair. I, I actually uh, emailed... Um, JFK. You, you emailed Joe Biden, didn't you? No. And you I did, think, and did you add him? No. Did you add him? No. You no. Refresh, refresh, refresh. <laughs> and, and he replied, refresh. don't at me, bro. I, <laughs> Hoping I, that he replied. I emailed JFK's inaugural address to my family and encouraged them to read it in preparation. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's fun. I, I'm. But I, you know, did you know that JFK, he didn't believe in... De- <laughs> He wasn't, there's Wait, nothing he good perfect? that can come from him. He wasn't perfect? <laughs> All right. We got a lot of questions. We do. we do. So let's get into them. All right. Question. Uh, first question. Here we go. Last Sunday, Kelly said that there is a hierarchy of sin. Of course, murder would be looked on as worse than lying. But doesn't God see all sins as equal? I think the hierarchy idea would lead people to compare their sins to other sins and be less inclined to feel that they need God's forgiveness since they might perceive their own sins are minor. I 100% knew we were going to get a question on this. Really? Oh, yeah. Did you 100%. Write it? 100%. You no, I didn't. It? I didn't. I didn't. I, have, I don't submit them. But 
Well, you know me. This is a I listen to this. I know. <laughs> I listened to your sermon four times. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it's great. <laughs> it was phenomenal sermon, dude. Seriously, one of your better, this wasn't if, really. yeah. best sermons that I've heard. Yeah. I mean, well, and I'll be great. honest with you. You get a church into a season of prayer and fasting, you can expect the pulpit ministry is going to go up. It yeah. just will. Mm-hmm. It will. And if it, it was, there was discussion amongst my family, my kids. I mean, I had. Yeah, people that listen to you comment to me mm-hmm. how um, it wasn't not an easy word yeah. that you offered, but it was uh, it was a good word. So nice work. I know it's you don't want to take credit and blah blah blah, but you did a good job. <laughs> Best one yet. Um, you just keep getting time. better and better, better all the time. I hope so. Yeah, right. I hope so. Uh, theologically, God gave a top ten. So. We can we can understand from that that there was an eleventh sin and a twelfth and a thirteenth that didn't make the top ten. So right away we have a hierarchy when we have the Decalogue. Philosophically, that so that, means the Ten Commandments. Yes, Th- philosophically we know that slapping someone's not as bad as shooting them. We can just reason that out. We can logic it that yeah. that if I can I ask a question? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, this is a question some may have. Are you saying then that the Ten Commandments are in order of of importance, like? I, like, I, I'd be okay if someone degrees. said that. I so like be, the 10th yes. isn't as... So a lot of times they're divided into um, yeah. the first four and then the last six as social right. commandments or right. community commandments. Uh, and while the first four uh, represent our posture towards God, the last six represent our posture uh, towards each other. Yes. So uh, yeah, you could, you could even talk about a hierarchy within the 10. Let's be honest, there was a number one. There is a number yes. one and there's a number two. Uh, that you should have no other gods before me, and you should not, not make any graven images. So that's one and two. Uh, yes, I think there is a hierarchy of sins. Uh, it, theologically, we know it. Philosophically, we know it. We, we can just logic that slapping someone's not as bad as shooting them. Sociologically, we distinguish between first and de- second degree murder. We, there are different types of murder, and we penalize people based on those distinctions. So no doubt that I think the question asker is right. This reality of a hierarchy of sins causes us to be tempted to compare ourselves to one another. That, that's what was happening in, in part in this week's passage. And Jesus had, had to set them straight that those who suffered uniquely, having their blood mixed with sac- sacrifices, and, and the tower falling on them, that they were not worse sinners than the others. The problem with comparison is that God's character is the standard. John's character is not the standard. My character is not the standard. So the minute someone uh, compares this, themselves to someone else, it, it's, it's, you know, so we feel better. That's why people watch the Jerry Springer show. We watch the Jerry Springer show because we come away from that wasted hour feeling that. better about ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as the people on the Jerry Springer show. The comparison is usually for the purpose of, you know, strengthening my sense of self-esteem. No one compares themselves to Mother Teresa. Because we come away smelling really bad morally. But th- so the point is, yeah, comparison is not something to be get caught up in, particularly when we're, we're clearly not the standard. The character of God is the standard as seen physically in Jesus Christ. So we must be honest with ourselves. Everyone falls short. Everybody falls short. Yeah. So, Kelly, can you separate it out with, like, what I'm hearing is this hierarchy of sin, but then the hierarchy hierarchy of sinners so like yeah there's maybe a hierarchy of sin but there is no hierarchy of sinners we're all sinners we're all sinful we all fall short of the glory of god 
No one is more sinful than another. Let's see if I can capture this again. I often say that not all sins are equal, but all sinners are equally separated from God. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, it and slapping someone out of anger and murdering someone out of anger don't one does not require more of the blood of Jesus right to make you yeah we're right. equally alienated right mm-hmm. so they're he's equally perfect. they're equally alienating you from God they're equally disqualifying you from heaven they're equally requiring the blood of Jesus mm. that he died word. for the for those sins but if you walk around thinking that, well, I'm all I did was, you know, slap somebody when they actually murdered somebody. Like, no, you you both are in the same category in terms of what is required for you to be reconciled to God. Now, the reconciliation to other people, the reconciliation to society, the consequence and the fallout of all those things are totally different. Yes. And that's why God has every right and in, in inclination to hierarchy his his sins. If you begin to put another God before him, well... It's a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> if you covet a neighbor's ox and donkey, not as big of a deal. Not good. Not good. Still disqualifying <laughs> right. in, his, in his book, but... James chapter 2, verse it, 10 actually says, you break one point of law, you've broken them all. Right. You're and equally separated. It isn't so that we can say... I'm not as bad as somebody else. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Jesus also talked about degrees of punishment, of eternal punishment, right? Like Jesus taught there would be degrees of punishment. If you know the right, if you know the right and don't do it, you'll be beaten with more stripes than if you do know the right uh, and do wrong. Luke yeah, to whom 12, much is given, much is expected. 47, yeah. 48. We're so there's accountable. degrees of punishment, which must mean there's degrees of guiltiness, which must mean there's some sins that are more blameworthy than others. Good job. Yep. Good. Do you take that as an eternal reality? That that degree, like, if you are in hell, if you are if you are separated, like, there's going to be like there's going to be like there, common class, some... business class, and first class <laughs> right, right, heaven. Right, 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 first class right, right. sinner. I'm just glad to be in... four hundred degrees, eight hundred degrees, twelve. Glad to be degrees. on the plane. I know. I know. <laughs> Well, Dante's, Dante's Inferno actually yeah. leveled hell. I mean, there was there right. was uh, eight eight levels of hell, if I remember correctly. And so, um, your I, question I mean, is I know not we're a, it's a historic, about it, but I actually think that that's question. how it is. It's a common question. There are also in in ancient writings an understanding that there were different levels of heaven. Mm-hmm. And Paul said, "I was caught up to the third level of yeah. heaven." I believe, yeah. if I'm not butchering yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Well, if some people are rewarded. Yes. It, to de- we're rewarded in, in degrees, right, of yes. our faithfulness here. Yeah. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about our works as believers will be tried with fire, and then we'll be rewarded accord- right. or accordingly. It's, right. it's the not- question then, though, is like, okay, are you, what kind of awareness? Because you're not going to be jealous of other right. people. Right? No, right. I think we'll be able to celebrate right. one another, right. and, and it's all going to make sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I think, too. Um, okay, let's go to the next question. Uh, this question on theology: When we see the country slash world going so badly, how does this affect our theology, especially eschatologically? For example, this seems to look like the world will not get better until Jesus returns. Yeah, the world's in a bad state. I think we can say that. You know, it, the obvious deserves to be stated. Things aren't going well. I don't know that I would say that things are worse now than they were in the first century. Uh, right. Things were 
bad in the first century. Um, so I, I agree that things aren't going to get better until Jesus returns. Um, and our current take on the state of affairs and the coming end of time, the eschatological understanding should be in line with scripture. So my take is that Jesus' return will be surprising to many, that they won't be ready. I did my best on Sunday to urge us to be ready uh, for judgment, that is the return of Christ, which will uh, precede the final judgment. Yet, still some will be surprised by it. Uh, the return of Christ will be bodily, scripture says. It'll be visible. Uh, the return of Christ uh, requires patience. James talks about the patience required to wait for the return of Christ. The, the eschaton, the end of all things, it requires patience to live in the world in which we live and maintain righteousness. Uh, and we're to wait eagerly. So, yes, it affects our theology, that is, our outlook on the world and our, our practice, our, our orthopraxy as well, our our right practice as we wait. Yeah. And there are different theological positions on when <laughs> I, this, I just finished systematic theology oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> so Kelly, here dodged we go. The, Kelly dodged the bullet. No, I already right forgot. What does scripture say Don't about worry. Jesus coming back? <laughs> Don't worry. I, <laughs> yes, he's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I got a 98.6%. Wow. And I've already forgotten half of it. Um, no, but I, I just want to encourage uh, listeners, if they want to get into more of it, you can investigate uh, different theological views on this matter, premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, blah, blah, blah. But each goes into its own explanation of when we're going to enjoy peace. Is it going to come right before Christ comes, after he comes? When he comes, is he taking us with him immediately? Will he not? Like, there's That's all different point. kinds of views on it. Yeah. And so if you really are wanting to go deeper on that, you can look up either Wayne Grudem's systematic theology or um, Millard Erickson's systematic theology. They both actually have different takes on, um, and they're both, you know, really good systematic theology books. But they both have different takes on what's going to happen when Christ returns and, and the order of the thing. That what's, what's for sure is Christ will return. Um, and he'll restore all things to, you know, what, what he's, uh, wants to restore them to, but this, the sequence of it, of what happens and when it happens is up for debate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, cause it, the, you know, I would, I, I would argue that just because the world is going so badly, it doesn't mean that the church is going so badly mm. or that Christ's work isn't. I actually think in these, these are moments of, of refining, right? I mean, mm -hmm. talk about the separating the wheat from the chaff and the, the sheep from the goats and all these opportunities that come our way are, are, are actually opportunities that maybe things are going so badly in the world, but things like the church could be thriving and growing. And that, that's the important thing. Mm -hmm. That's the kingdom that we need to be focused on. So we can sort of sit, sit and say, our, the world is falling away from us. Well, maybe Christians are getting stronger, more refined, more bold, more, maybe we're, we're actually growing stronger through all these types of situations. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the hope, of, right? Is that, you know, as the world around us maybe crumbles and we see pain and all that, that people are, are actually drawn to Christ or yeah. coming to the church and the church is actually strengthened mm. and carrying the... That would be my take. Now well, you I'm, now you know where I stand and 
the pre-post-ah situations. <laughs> I felt like that was sort of the crux of Kelly's sermon was we can get overwhelmed by all the muck in the world and all of that. We Some people are angry right now. Some people are overwhelmed. But really, let's just, let's just make it a little more simple and come to the Father, right? Yeah. If we repent and all of these little points, you know, if we're repenting, then we're preparing for when God comes and it's a surprise and we're ready for it and we can eagerly await it when we're repentant and we're right with God. Then instead of fearing his coming, we can eagerly await it. And to your point, John, God's refining us in that whole process, making his church stronger for when he does return. Yeah. So I felt like, Kelly, when you started your sermon and you were like, someone asked me, is the world coming to an end? And I was like, what's he going to say? How's he going to answer <laughs> <Yes>. it? <laughs> when are, I we don't know. are we living in the end times? Like, what's he going to answer? But I appreciate that you, gave, you made it practical and, yeah. and realistic things that we can actually do, but, but where God can heal us individually so that we can hopefully globally be stronger. I love it. Uh, you know, I am unnerved that there are 20,000 uh, National Guardsmen in D.C. That's less than ideal. It bothers me. <laughs> but it shouldn't steal our peace as the people mm -hmm. of God because we know who controls the future. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Go to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, when are you going to make a prediction? Come on, make a prediction. That always goes <laughs> well in church. That. that always goes, <laughs> always well. goes well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Um... In addition to repentance towards God, how should we approach reconciliation in families and relationships arising from a harsh political divide? Do we have to surrender our views in order to reconcile relationships? I love this question. Um, I think it is uh, one reason that we don't enjoy as much reconciliation as we'd like. Uh, we don't have to surrender our views to be reconciled. Uh, we can be reconciled and disagree on many, many issues. Reconciliation is a state of relationship in which the sins that we've committed against one another have been forgiven. Reconciliation does not mean that we agree on everything. Unity is not the same as uniformity. We don't all have to dress and act alike to enjoy biblical unity. We can affirm the deity of Christ, the reality of uh, the Trinity, uh, the sufficiency of the cross, uh, the historical uh, resurrection, these types of things create unity. Uh, they create um, fellowship. And agreeing on, on these types of things, uh, we can disagree on whether Biden should be president or Trump should be president, and we can do so civilly. Uh, one of the ways that we can be unified without being uniform in our, our thoughts about politics is to learn to listen and really hear one another um, when we're divided over politics. I'll give an example. In my case, you know, I, I speak for a living. And one of the downsides of being a, a speaker is that I have had a historical, um, and still face it, I can be tempted uh, to share my opinion with people who don't care to hear my opinion. And so I would say over the last decade, I've paid increasing attention to people, whether or not they're even asking. Are they asking for my input? And I'm, it's, uh, <clears throat> I, you know, to share our opinion when no one's asking is gonna be risky. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, 
Um, I have a, a friend who would say uh, to me often, Kelly, are you open to hearing what I think? And he, he said, could I share with you what I think? Because I hadn't asked him his opinion on a topic. And then I would say, yeah, I'm open to hearing it. Or no, I'm not really open to hearing it. So when I, when I pay close attention to who's asking for my input, rather than uh, offering it or forcing it in situations where there's not a clear interest in hearing it, when I pay attention, then my relationships usually go better. Listening and hearing. So, um, yeah, so the, this person's asking specifically about issues with family members and political divide. Mm -hmm. It made me just start thinking, like, why, why do we get so upset about politics? It seems really silly. Like, why, why do people get so emotionally? Like, I understand about God and about theology because you're taking that as if someone has a different viewpoint, well, then that... You, in your mind, you're thinking, well, that person thinks this about me in my eternal, in my eternal state, my soul, like my, you know, the most intimate part of me, you're making a judgment call on. But why do we give a crap about if there's a Democrat or a Republican? Like, why is that uh, such a huge issue that we would well, not because talk one to is it has family issues. members? One is not. <laughs> what, one what? Because one is Christian and one is <laughs> No, but I understand he's, he's people... joking, listeners. Joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand no, people getting so upset about conversations about God and religion. I don't know, Matt. I think... Politics. Aren't you... Don't you think you're... We can hold positions passionately. We, we don't have to hold everything dispassionately. Yeah. We do, you're right. But, one hundred percent. The problem is, is that people have a very difficult time setting things aside and focusing on more important things. Who who's in the White House? If if who is in the White House is more important than your relationship to your spouse or your mm -hmm. parents mm -hmm. or your children, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Then that's a problem to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. That you can't just set that aside and say. We, we disagree. Like, yeah. has, who is in the White House so intricately woven into every facet of your life that it impacts how you interact with those that you are most, those who, like, I'm thinking parents, those who gave birth to you and raised you and are your family? Like, it, that can't be okay, mm -hmm. where you don't speak to your parents because they voted for Trump and you voted for Biden. You, you can't get past that. You, you have to get past that. You have to be able to say, I love and care for them beyond their political identity. Mm -hmm. and, and part of the problem is it becomes, in some people, and probably more people than we'd like to admit, it becomes woven into like all these facets of your life. So like when you're thinking about the church, you're thinking about, well, the church will be this with Biden and this with Trump. And then you're thinking about your 401k. Well, it'll be this with Biden and this with Trump. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking about your, your taxes and you got to go pay in here in a few months. And it'll be this with Biden and this with Trump. And so it, it, the media doesn't help. Right. <laughs> um, our focus on it, our, our, as believers, and I, and I get there's a, it's different for non-believers, but for believers, we have to, we have to prioritize which kingdom really matters to us. And if the kingdom of God is what truly matters, then you, you should be able to put aside the earthly kingdom issues. Mm -hmm. Well, to your point, if you don't have 
God's kingdom in mind, then the earthly kingdom is going to feel really important to you. Mm. So politics might be like a religion mm-hmm. to some people if they don't. Yeah, that's a good point. Lord. Yeah, it, it replaces. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, Jesus had some anger over the political goings on. Um, so in my world, theology fuels or underlies good politics. And so Jesus had some, some, you know, perfect theology and was frustrated and showed anger at the political situation in first century Jerusalem, overturning tables, whipping people with the whip he had made. I mean, he showed real anger. Um, I, I, in other words, I think we can be emotionally and appropriately charged over political issues if they're rooted in theology. The, the question is, are we expressing that in a godly fashion? Today's a great day to, to remember uh, MLK was emotionally charged over the, theolo- the political implications that underlied segregation. The, the theology that was under segregation is that people aren't equal or that right. separate's equal, which it's not. So he was emotionally charged, but the way he expressed it was in nonviolence. He actually took blows instead of gave blows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- sometimes I actually think it would be better if we were a theocracy because then we could have a standard. <laughs> yeah. you, do you get what I mean? Sure. I, if America was established on... Right. With an established religion. Yeah, with an that established... That was enforced. That, that everybody knew was the one. And, right. and then, you know, you'd have these, these squabbles on interpretation. Right. But at least you had some sort of... Benchmark. Benchmark, rule, plan that you're, you know. Well, the, the, and I, I'm, I'm not endorsing that. I, I think sometimes <laughs> it feels like it would be easier... I don't think it would be. Uh, ultimately, I it get it. It'd be a bad. Yeah, I was just, yeah, yeah, I was just yeah, talking yeah. about just, this yesterday because um, I've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to Riyadh. Yeah, they have three police in Riyadh. There are the king's police, the kingdom police. There are the normal police, and then there are the religious police. Three different police. Yeah. When we drove from the airport to the military base, my stepmom had to ride in the back because of the religious police. Because they would enforce, you know, because a yeah, woman right, right, can't right, ride right, in the right, right, front right. of the car and whatever. Just you know, while America is not a theocracy, we we do have some some strong moorings that people of divergent religious opinion can all get on board with. Um, that all men are created equal. You know, the the notions of equality, liberty, and justice are really strong moorings um, around which we can we can come together. Again, unity is not uniformity. Yeah. All right, we can talk about that one for a whole podcast, so we'll keep going. Next question. Job's friends said that bad things happened to him as judgment for sin. They were wrong. For that reason, I tend to avoid making assumptions that bad things happen because of sin and judgment. If I see bad things happen on the news, am I a hypocrite if I don't assume that they happen because of sin and judgment? <laughs> so, so I w- wrestled with this question quite a bit um, this morning in prep. Let me see if I can. I'm not totally sure I understand. So the hypocrisy that Jesus addressed in Sunday's, in the text chosen for Sunday, had to do with making a claim that we can't understand what's currently causing troubles in this world or what lies ahead for humanity. Jesus said that we can forecast the weather, so it's hypocritical to say we can't forecast the certainty of coming judgment. 
Sin is, in fact, the very reason we are currently suffering in this world, although it might not be our sin individually that's causing us to suffer, but rather sin collectively, like the Galileans whose blood was mixed with the sacrifices and the 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. These folks suffered uniquely, as Job did. He suffered uniquely. But these folks were not uniquely sinful, and certainly Job wasn't uniquely sinful. Job, in fact, is described as, in Job chapter 1, verse 1, blameless and upright, which is not the same as saying that he was morally perfect. Being blameless means that he was right with God according to the law. In fact, we know that Job was sinful because he had a habit of offering sacrifices for himself and his children in an effort to maintain his uprightness, which he did. He was an upright man. Job suffered not because of his individual sin, but because God allowed him to suffer as a result of general sinfulness in the world. I would say that we are not hypocritical if we can see the suffering in the world is a result of both individual and collective sin, and if we affirm judgment is coming as a result of sinfulness. Yeah, because we have talked in the past about, um, when we were talking about healing, for example, about an affliction you have could be from sin in your life, but it also could not be. Right. And I think that's the line that this question asker is trying to figure out walking. I right? think, like, I think like you could say, yes, good... you could say, yes, the affliction you have, the, the health issue you have is a result of what you're calling gen general sin, just in general. But is it a result of a specific sin in your life? Maybe, maybe not. Hard to know. Hard to know. It's, I think maybe what sometimes um, sometimes people push against is like there's a modern day uh, crisis or tragedy or something like that. And then um, there'll be folks that come out that say things like, I mean, think of that. Remember when 9-11 happened and like some of the first people that come out to say, why did this happen? Were some religious leaders that said things like, well, it's because America endorses homosexuality. God's punishing us. Do you, do you remember? I mean, sure. that was a yeah. big or abortion. Of, Abortion's often abortion, thrown around. Yeah, like because you're a nation that isn't following God's um, law, commands, seeking righteousness, whatever. He sent those planes to mark a moment and punish you because of your national behavior. I just think that's really dangerous to do. I, I don't think that's. I don't think it's. Um, it's in line for for church leaders. Christian leaders and pastors to do that sort of thing. And I think that could be somewhat of what this person may be questioning is because it can be just a, um, a real dangerous road to go down. Like any bad thing that happens, it's God's judgment. I think, Kelly, what you said on, on Sunday was that, well, of course, the Twin Towers falling is because of God's, because of our sin and judgment at its root. Generally, yes. Generally, yeah. it's not because we just did don't ask, don't tell in the military. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, right. that was the, yeah. the, the issue. It was right. like, oh, well, last week, right. Senate voted, and now, boom, your towers go down. Like, that, that doesn't, that's not how it works. Yeah. Or because... Most likely. We stopped saying <laughs> right? Merry Christmas. Yeah, because right. Target, you know, right, right, doesn't right. allow, you know, the, the guys right. that ring the bells, you know, you're punished. I just, I don't think that God, I just don't think that God works that way. Could God be allowing events of evil to happen to humble us, to humble us, to bring us closer to him, to opportunities for the church to, to redefine itself, wake up and, and reclaim its mission and all those sort of things. A hundred percent. 
but to make things specific about one instant and you know it just that's just dangerous to me to yeah. do that sort of thing so sometimes any whiff of of um something happened god is now judging us i think sometimes any whiff of that gives people uh, like wait a second what are we doing here so these are my two yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the next question. If you have a lack of understanding on current events, like what are lies, who is telling the truth, and how to fix it, are you then a hypocrite? I get the general concept that because sin entered the, entered the world, we have death, illness, and destruction, and that we all need to repent. However, it seems to overgeneralize the scripture, quote, know how to interpret, end quote, and cause all current events to be treated the same. It's just kind of what we were just talking about. Yeah, so my my thought here is there was a reductionistic element to my interpretation Sunday. That is to say an oversimplification, but it, it was the same reductionism that Jesus offered. In other words, Jesus didn't get into explaining why the Tower of Siloam fell on 18 and killed them. And he didn't get into why those particular Galileans were victimized by Pilate when he mixed their blood with sacrifices. Neither did I. I didn't get into Sunday what brought COVID mm-hmm. uh, or even how to fix racism mm-hmm. in America. Jesus was most concerned that the Jews were claiming they didn't know the underlying cause of such events or the longer term implications. He was concerned not with prescribing specific political or architectural fixes. Here's how you best build a tower so it doesn't fall on people. But rather, he was concerned with addressing spiritual needs of people. Admittedly, there's real work to be done in addressing rulers like Pilate in the world. I think God calls some politicians, he calls people into um, the political world in order uh, to create civil governments and maintain order. He, he gives some with architectural gifts so that buildings don't fall over, and there are prescriptions to be made there. But that's simply not the primary focus of the Scripture, which is not to say that Scripture doesn't have anything to say on those types of matters, but rather it's not the primary. I, th- I think and hope I made what was primary to Jesus, the primary emphasis on Sunday, that is repent. Repent of sin which is the underlying cause of suffering individually and collectively. Yeah, I mean, I I think the first part of this question is we've all been dealing with this for 10, 15 years now. Um, How do we... (laughs) How do we know it's true? How do we know what's accurate? How do we know... The whole false news reality? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's... But, man, I, I feel like um, it was predicated on the idea of that was, at least in the circles I was running in in the early 2000s, like the idea, that, the postmodern idea of, like, your truth, my truth, everyone's mm. truth is subjective. And, and I remember thinking at the time, like, this isn't going to play out well. Right. Like, if, if truth isn't it absolute. It becomes a power struggle. Right. Then, yeah. Aren't, aren't you thinking through what it's going to be like in 20 years? And I feel like we're, we're kind of getting there. It's like we're walking around. No one knows what's true anymore. I just, the listener says it seems to overgeneralize the scripture. And, and there was a reductionist. So there was this overgeneralization, right? There was, a, there was a simplistic 
element to to the sermon. Yep. Uh, repentance is the best thing we can do. It's not the only thing we can do. We actually do need politicians of integrity to lead, and we need architects to build buildings that don't fall over on people. But that's not the primary emphasis of of the yeah. Jesus. And, you know message. what we were talking about earlier today. Repentance will will end up having practical. Implications. It will. I'm my. I'm the best American citizen when I am repentant before God. Yeah. The, the best thing the church can do is is repent. Yeah. It's not the of, only thing, but it's the best. Right. Yeah. No. Just kind of thinking that same thing. It, a lack of understanding of current events. If you're not glued to the TV, if you're not trying to splice out who's correct and who's <laughs> lying, you can still repent. Yes. And you can still see God's grace in that. It yeah, doesn't necessarily matter how up you are on current events, though that doesn't hurt. And it's not just that it's a thing, but it's the first thing mm-hmm. we should do. And it's the ongoing Jesus thing. Jesus said that a ton. Yeah. And you God know? might, within your repentance, reveal to you what's true and what's not. Yeah. I do think he gives grace to the humble. I, I would suspect that repentant politicians are going to do a lot better caring for the citizenry than unrepentant. Yeah. Like, it, as we repent, I, I expect he will bring clarity yeah. to civil issues so that we can create an orderly society. I just, I think it's the best posture. So going back to like the second question then, going back to the second question about family members and politics, what you should say when you're met with political, you know, discourse is just, well, first, dude, why don't you just start repenting right now? And then we'll <laughs> That'll we'll go well. After you <laughs> repent, <laughs> we'll talk. After you <laughs> repent. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, uh, next question. Does the, quote, present time, end quote, in verse 56 refer to Jesus' time, or does it refer to any current event? It seems like the sermon indicated it applies to all current events. However, I read the passage to be Jesus uh, asking his specific audience, how can you not see the signs that are happening is the fulfillment of the prophesied Messiah? The signs are pointing to me, and I am the Savior, a specific event. Yeah, so the question asker is wondering if I didn't talk beyond the passage. Uh, the question asker feels like that was a more particular context. Uh, in, in fact, I think it's verse, yeah, 56, where the very words, how can this present time. Yeah. So, yes, I think that the, the question asker is correct, that Jesus is pressing them to acknowledge him as Savior and stop denying his claims to Messiahship. Uh, they're to stop making him an adversary and accept him as their only true ally so that they can stand up under judgment. Otherwise, it ain't going to go well. Yes, I think the question asker is right. But the realities of that type of denial and the appropriate remedy, that is repentance, are not unique to the Jews of the first century. They continue in our present time to be the remedy needed. Plus, Jesus clearly implies in the balance of chapter 12 that these are ongoing issues, unfolding issues, and the application is appropriate for generations to come. For example, prior to his comment, when he used the word this present time, he talks about storing up treasure in heaven. We apply that to ourselves today all the time, and clearly he, he means for us to apply that in our context, remaining watchful for his return. Well, he hasn't returned Certainly, we're to remain watchful. Understanding, for example, that he wants us to have understanding that will bring division, uh, that he will bring division in relationships. He says that in Luke 12, he says that that some in a family will accept me and some will reject me, and that's going to bring division in that family. So on balance, we take much of the teaching of Luke 12 as, as more than simply 
uh, for Jesus's present time, we take it to be applicable to many, many generations, the last um, 2,100 years. And so I think we can do the same and, and all the time. At repentance is clearly... Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so there was a specific context. Yeah. Sometimes there's specific things mentioned regarding a specific... Um, a specific instance or something that ha- like like um the the mixing of the blood and the falling of the tower right like those are really specific things but there can be greater principles that mm-hmm. are that come out of that yeah. that text you know you think of like um you know we don't all go build an ark but we should listen to god mm-hmm. when he speaks to, you know what i mean like there's all sorts of things right. um like that What's like it? noah was obedient we should be obedient yeah, right. yeah that's my my point Sometimes the the two come really close together, and this might be one of those instances where the words present day and time, like, okay, I need to, how do we, how do we dissect that a little bit? Because I think you're right. I think it is actually pointing to the fact that they weren't recognizing. In that particular day, context. In that particular day and context. So, you know, when it, when it, when Christ or scripture mentions something very specific, and then you use those same words to talk about our present time, it can get tricky in the mind of the listener. Does that make sense? And appropriately so. We and should, appropriate, it's a great question. A hundred percent great question. Yeah. And, and that's and a great where, place to start when yeah. you're studying yeah. the Bible yeah. is to ask yourself, have your, ask right. yourself that question. Who is this yeah. to it's like and you, what did it mean? Jesus said them. in this present time, and you seem to say Jesus was saying in our present time, which present time are we talking about? Yeah. Well, it's both. And that can be tricky. Because sometimes it's not. Because sometimes it's not. <laughs> and sometimes it's dangerous to assume that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It's good work on the question asker. Okay. So final question. Jesus appeals to their common sense to wake them up to coming consequences. You can read the weather, stop pretending you can't read the trajectory of human events and the certainty of coming judgment. However, the Pharisees most likely assumed that they already were doing that and that everyone else was unreasonable and out of touch with reality. Feels like that describes our world and specifically the church in many ways. Essentially, everyone reads about the Pharisees and assumes that today's Pharisees are the people they disagree with rather than evaluating their own Pharisaic. How do you say that? Pharisaical. Pharisaical. Pharisaical tendencies. Yeah. How do we decide if we, in fact, are the Pharisees who are being hypocritical? Good question. That's fascinating, yeah. Yeah. I would admit that I tend to think others are pharisaical rather than me thinking I am pharisaical. And I, it, is a, it is a hole that religious folks fall into all the time. Yeah. Uh, religious folks are at a unique peril for being hypocritical. That is pharisaical. Um, so irreligious people aren't in that as much, in that jeopardy. Um, and as religious folks, we've, we've got to be honest with ourselves that in all likelihood, we will most likely struggle at some point with, with hypocrisy, yeah. saying we affirm one thing and actually uh, living out affirming another or, or whatever the hypocrisy might be. It, the, the, the question to ask her is, how do I decide if I, in fact, am a Pharisee in this situation? And I think the best is to ask the Holy Spirit for conviction. I just don't know how. It, it's, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of sin. I can't convict other people of sin. Uh, preachers get the, uh, it's really shaky ground when preachers feel the pressure or when one Christian feels the pressure to 
help convict another of sin. That's just, that's not our role. Yeah. Uh, it's the spirit that's supposed to convict us of sin and of righteousness. And apart from the spirit's work in our life, no one's going to repent of any sin, uh, least of all hypocrisy. Yeah. I think, and with this question, I think about this topic in terms of being surprised at who's going to be in the kingdom and who's not. Like, I, I often think about that in, in these terms, kind of like, man, who, why is that? Why, why, what am I going to see? That's going to surprise me. Is it going to be people on the right? Is it going to be people on the left? Is it going to be like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that just makes my mind race. Yeah. There was a, there's a book that, uh, that I read a while ago called, uh, accidental Pharisees. I was just looking it up again. It's about kind of modern, modern day traps that the church and church, uh, people, church leaders can fall into. Um, it's a great, it's a Larry Osborne, um, book. It's a, it's a good book. It's challenging to think about, um, what the Pharisees did in the first century or even, and even before that. Um, and then how we can fall into Similar. those ancient traps yeah. still exist today that you can kind of almost accidentally fall into and not realize, you know, what you're, what you're doing. So, and you create a culture of exclusivity, you know, dangerous, dangerous, zealous behavior and pretending and, and things What's like the name that. of it again? Uh, accidental Pharisees. Be a great sermon series. He often publishes his sermon series. Mm -hmm. I think, I actually think it's, uh, I think if I remember correctly, I could be wrong. I think I heard a series of sermons and then it 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 came came out out as a book. Yeah. (laughs) It would actually be a great sermon series for the future, Kelly. Yeah. All right. We wrapped up, wrapping it up. That's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, or also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.